0: So in the last couple of lectures, I would have given you the entire lower limb. I know it's very daunting, the amount of material that you have to study, but at the same time, it becomes very simple if you take it in terms of compartments. As I said, just as you study the upper limb, the lower limb, you use the same methodology, and it should be very, very simple. So we spoke about the lower limb yesterday, just as a review before we begin the lecture. We have the lower limb consisting of the thigh, the leg, and the foot. The thigh has three compartments, the anterior compartment. You would remember the muscles of the anterior compartment, which would be basically the iliopsoas, the quadriceps group, and you would realize that, that quadriceps group would be made up of what structures? Rectus femoris, vastus medialis, vastus lateralis, and vastus intermedius. The nerve of excellence of the anterior compartment is going to be what nerve? Femoral nerve. So you should ask yourself, where is the femoral nerve located? It's located in that femoral triangle, and you should also be reminding yourself of its location to the other structures. So if you remember the location to the other structures, you should be thinking of the word navel, nerve, which is the femoral nerve from lateral to medial. What are the contents of the femoral triangle? You have the femoral nerve, the femoral artery, the vein, empty space, and lymphatics. And this is the way you are supposed to be actually thinking about it. At the same time, if your femoral nerve is damaged, you should say, all right, I cannot do what? The femoral nerve innervates what group of muscles? The muscles of the anterior compartment. So therefore, I may not be able to flex the hip joint. What muscle flexes the hip joint? Okay. I need to ask myself, the quadriceps group, what do they do? Are they extensors or are they flexors? They are extensors of what joint? The knee joint. So it means, therefore, those of you who go to the gym, you would realize that if you put your leg and you have a weight here, what are you doing? You're strengthening which group of muscles? The quadriceps. Okay? That's why we call it knee extension. Right? For those of you who also go to the gym, if you want to strengthen your gluteus maximus, what do you do? You do squats. So therefore, the gluteus maximus is the most powerful extensor. It allows you to get up from your seats. So when you're squatting, that's flex position of the knee, every time you get up, you're actually strengthening the gluteus maximus. Okay. So if you learn the functions of the groups of muscles, it becomes a lot easier. The other thing I would advise is that you can always, especially arteries and nerves, Let's say, for instance, you have the femoral artery. You start from the external, uh, so I should say the external iliac. What happens as it crosses under the inguinal ligament, it becomes the femoral artery. The femoral artery is going to divide into femoral proper, as we call it, and a deep branch or deep femoral artery. Now, you need to ask yourself, what arteries come off of the deep femoral. You have two of them basically coming off as important to you. It's going to be a medial circumflex and the lateral circumflex. The medial circumflex is going to go posteriorly to join the cruciate anastomosis that we saw in the gluteal region. The lateral is going to give you three branches. It's going to give you a transverse branch, an ascending branch, and a descending branch. We also said that the descending branch is going to form part of the geniculate anastomosis. All right? So then you decide, okay, I've gotten that. So the deep femoral branch continues down into the thigh. It also gives off four, three or four perforating branches. And those perforating branches go where? Towards the posterior aspect of the thigh. As I said, you have a hiatus, which is called the obturator hiatus. And it's going to turn backwards to go into the popliteal region. Once it gets into the popliteal region it's going to divide. Once again, it's going to supply that region and it's going to divide. Right. It divides into two arteries, an anterior tibial and a posterior tibial. The anterior tibial is going to go in front of the interosseous membrane. The posterior tibial is going to go behind the interosseous membrane. The posterior tibial is also going to divide into a fibular branch and the posterior tibial proper. It gets down into... The anterior tibial is going to terminate as a dorsalis pedis artery. It's going to give off a deep plantar artery that's going to form part of the arches that you have in the dorsum of the foot and form uh, or contribute to the plantar surface of the foot. Posteriorly, you're going to have the posterior tibial artery. It's going to pass behind the lateral malleolus, and that is going to divide into a uh, medial and lateral plantar artery. Okay, So you can see that is the way that you're supposed to be studying it as you go along. Am I making sense? Yes? The same thing for the sciatic nerve. It comes out below the piriformis. It's one of the most important nerves that you have to know. It comes out below the piriformis along with the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve. It descends just in the region of the popular fossa. It will divide classically into two nerves, tibial proper, as well as a common fibula. The common fibula is going to be located more or less at the head of the fibula. It's going to divide into a superficial branch and a deep branch. The superficial branch is going to do what? It's going to provide innervation to the lateral compartment of the leg. And you should be asking yourself, what muscles do you have in the lateral compartment of the leg? You're going to have fibularis longus and brevis. And these two muscles do what? They evert the foot. All right? So that superficial branch is also going to give cutaneous supply to the dorsum of the foot. Right. good. The tibial branch is going to ascend, sorry, descend, sorry, into the leg. It's going to provide innervation to the flexors. What flexors do we have? Those muscles that are going to plantar flex the foot. It's going to provide innervation to all those flexors, and then it's going to terminate as a medial and lateral plantar nerve. And that's how you're supposed to be thinking about it. What branches are purely motor? What branches are purely sensory? Now, if I ask you a question, or if Dr. Rabin asks you a question, the deep fibular nerve, is it a sensory nerve? I should say, is it mainly a sensory nerve, or is it mainly a motor nerve? It's mainly a motor nerve. What compartment does it supply? the anterior compartment of the leg, right? So the anterior compartment of the leg, uh, they could be given two separate names. They can be thought of as extensors, because you have all of the extensors there, but we call them dorsiflexors. Make sense? So this is how you go about studying the lower limb. Think in terms of compartments. As I said, the deep fibular nerve, is it mainly a motor nerve or is it mainly a sensory nerve? It's both. Where does it provide sensation to? To the web space between the first two digits of the foot. And that's how you go about it because those are the questions that we're going to ask you. Make sense? Right. So, even for the upper limb, that's how you should be studying it. You have your arm, forearm, and hand. What do you have in the anterior compartment of the arm? You have the flexors. What muscle? provides innervation to those flexors, generally. Muscular cutaneous, not so? Posteriorly, you have the extensors, and the extensors are supplied by which nerve? No exceptions. Radial nerve. You have a muscle that's a boundary muscle that separates your extensor compartment from your flexor compartment. What is that muscle called? It's called brachioradialis. It's a boundary muscle. So you have brachioradialis. It cannot be innervated by the musculocutaneous nerve. Why? Because if you look under the brachioradialis, what nerve do you have passing there? Okay, so anatomy is very simple. It's all depending on how you look at it, right? So today we're going to look at some of the imaging structures. And basically what we would like you to remember is, or I should say the major landmarks. There are going to be things that I cover that's actually put there to help you understand the regional anatomy. It may not be tested on your exam. I cannot tell you what's coming on the exam, but I can give you a global view to understand the imaging because I should say, fortunately, the cadaver experience will be the only one that you're gonna see in your medical career unless you come back and you teach anatomy like some of us. Okay? So your anatomy course is basically, this is it. Radiology. <laughs> radiology is what you're going to have for the rest of your life. Okay, so you don't get off that easily. All right, so with that, we're going to start today's lecture. So let's look at a hip joint. So as we said, uh, as we have studied before, different radiological lectures, we talk about radiolucencies and radioopacities. And once we are identifying any... Um, radiological image, we need to have a systematic approach of how we approach the particular structure. First of all, we need to identify the region that we're looking at. And most of you can see that we are looking at the hip joint. And the hip joint is formed with for a series of bones. So here you have this bone here is what we going f- was focusing on in the last couple of lectures. And we would realize that this here is the femur. We have the head of the femur We have the neck of the femur, and we have the shaft of the femur. This here is going to be a greater tuberosity. This here is going to be lesser tuberosity. And here we're going to have this line here. If it's on the posterior surface, it's going to be called the intertrochanteric line. On the anterior surface, it's going to be called the intertrochanteric crest. Or is it the opposite way around? It's the opposite way around. Just making sure that you're awake. Okay? Okay. So, if you look very carefully here, you're going to see this spine here, and this is going to be called your ischial spine. And once you see that ischial spine, you should be asking yourself, based on Ms. Duplessis' lecture, what structures pass around that ischial spine? What structures? What neurovascular structures? Pudendal nerve, right? Pudendal group of vessels, They pass, they hook around the ischial spine, and they get into the perineum. Now, this bump that we talk about here is going to be called the ischial tuberosity, and that ischial tuberosity is what we sit on. So if you sit on your seat right now and you press very, very deep, that is the bump that we're going to be sitting on. So we have different structures, and the main ones that we need to identify, first of all, identify the normal anatomy, and then we try to locate them on the image. So there's the ischial tuberosity, there's the ischial spine, the acetabular fossa, Here we have the femoral head, we spoke about the neck, the femoral shaft, greater trochanter, lesser trochanter. Alright. Now, in the pelvis, what you would realize is that there are a series of geometrical structures. So if you look, what do I mean by geometrical structures? You have bones, you have some circles, as we will see. So this here is going to be called your obturator foramen. Here we have the head of the femur sitting into This fossa, which is acetabular fossa, you have a space here. And in order to line up all of these different bones and spaces, we have a series of lines that help us realize the accuracy of how these different bones and spaces line up. One such line, or one such geometrical line, is this line, which we call Shenton's line. And once Shenton's line is actually disrupted, it means that the pelvis, or the equilibrium between the different structures that hold the pelvis together, can help us suspect some type of disequilibrium, in this case, fractures. So what, what do we mean by shenton line? So the shenton line here is your femur, once again. On the medial aspect of your femur, if you take an imaginary line, so with your mind's eye, you draw a, media, a line on the medial aspect, it comes all the way around, and then it gets to this region here, which is called the inferior edge of your superior pubic ramus. And that line should give you a nice, smooth curvature. And that is what we refer to as Shenton's line. Very, very important line because it's going to help you identify or suspect fractures in the pelvis. We spoke about our angle of inclination, which is also very important. We said that the angle of inclination is the angle that you get if you drop a perpendicular line through the femoral shaft and another one through the femoral neck. This angle that we get here is called the angle of inclination. Very important. So we look at Shelton's line, and we look at the angle of inclination. Recapping the stuff that we would have been taught in previous radiological lectures, how do you identify a fracture in your mind's eye? You should be tracing the cortex of the bone to make sure that you have a nice, smooth continuity and there is no break in continuity once there's a break in continuity of the cortex of the bone it means that you are in the presence of a fracture so <clears throat> we spoke about intracapsular fractures versus extracapsular fractures now you may be asking yourself doctor marshall what stabilizes the hip joints you would realize from the lectures yesterday we have muscles that cover these hip joints so in this particular diagram, you should realize that anteriorly, you're going to have muscles of the anterior compartment. You have muscles of the posterior compartment, which are going to be the gluteal muscles. They, along with ligaments, help stabilize this joint. What ligaments have we spoken about? We've talked about the issue pubic. Uh, the, li- the ones that we have talked about is the ischiofemoral ligaments, the, f- the pubofemoral ligaments, and the iliofemoral ligaments. So those are the three that I want you to remember. There's one that is actually in the hip joint, transverse acetabular ligament. That also helps. Now, understanding how the ligaments pull is also very important. So we said that the issue femoral ligament is the one that's posterior. And what did we say it was? Was it a strong ligament? Was it a weak ligament? It was a weak ligament because it, is, it has a deficiency posteriorly. So it means, therefore, that once we see this, it means that Posterior dislocation of the femur is much more prominent than anterior dislocation. And why is that? If you look at the anterior side, you would realize that we have the iliofemoral ligament and the pubofemoral ligament. We said that the iliofemoral ligament, it prevents hyperextension of the hip joint, and the pubofemoral ligament, it prevents overabduction of the hip joint. Good? In your mind's eye, at the same time, you should be revising the blood supply to the hip joint. We said that you have a cruciate anastomosis, and we should remember from the time you say cruciate anastomosis, the superior limb of the cruciate anastomosis, who gave blood supply? Who gives the blood supply? Not superior gluteal. Inferior gluteal. Okay? Inferior gluteal. On the medial side, what who do we have? Medial circumflex. On the lateral side, lateral circumflex. Inferiorly, first perforating branch of your deep femoral artery. Good? And we said that that anastomosis around the hip joint was an anastomosis between two arteries. Which two major arteries? External iliac and femoral. That's right. External iliac and Somebody said femoral. External iliac and internal iliac. Good. Internal iliac, what artery comes off of the internal iliac? Hmm? Inferior luteal. Which arteries come off of the external iliac? All of the others, right? Do you remember? Lateral Mm -hmm. circumflex, medial circumflex, and your first perforator comes off of your deep, femoral artery, which is a branch of the femoral artery, which was a branch of the external iliac artery that became the femoral once you passed under the inguinal ligament. Make sense? Yes? Good. Now, we also spoke about the support. We said that the body's weight is actually uh, mainly supported or well, there's a transfer of body weight at the neck of the femur, which means, therefore, that this is a place that you're going to have fractures or breakage, but much more importantly, we have retinicular arteries which supply the head of the femur. Where do we have another artery that supplies the head of the femur coming from? The artery of the ligament of the head of the femur, and that comes from the obturator artery. The obturator artery is a branch of which vessel? The internal iliac. Okay, So there's another anastomosis or part of the anastomosis that you can find. So, therefore, we can classify our fractures as intracapsular or extracapsular. So in the previous lecture, I would have given you what we mean by an intracapsular fracture and what do we mean by an extracapsular fracture. So your intracapsular fractures are fractures that you find basically of the neck of The femur. You have subcapital, which is below the head. You have transcervical, which is at the neck, and then you have basicervical towards the base of the neck of the femur. Now, all of these are intracapsular. They are related to the different ligaments that we just spoke about. They are below the ligaments that I uh, talked about in the previous slide. Now, outside of that, you have your intratrochanteric fractures or extracapsular. So extracapsular fractures could be intertrochanteric or subtrochanteric. And I just want you to remember that you have intracapsular fractures and extracapsular fractures. Now, the management, which you're not concerned about, is going to be very, very different. So if I have an intracapsular fracture, I am compromising the retinicular arteries. So if I'm compromising those arteries, I am cutting them, I am destroying them. So it means, therefore, I'm not providing blood supply to the head of the femur. Once I'm not providing blood supply to the head of the femur, it means that they're going to die because you have avascular necrosis without blood causing cell death. So that's what we mean by avascular necrosis. So let's look at some of the fractures and how they can be identified. So if you look very, very carefully in our mind's eye, once again, we are going to use the method that we spoke about. We said we identify this as the hip joint. Now we're going to look at a normal anatomy. We realize that this is the shaft of the f- femur. Here is the head of the femur. And if you look very carefully, if you go backwards, you'd realize that you have a nice, clean, even joint space at this point. Once you go forward, you realize that, that j- this joint space has actually widened. Most importantly, we look at Shenton's line, which can give us an idea of whether or not we have a fracture. And we said that we have this line here, which is called Shenton's line. And if you look at it, you'd realize that you have a little bit of a step-off right here. It's not greatly altered, but looking at the other structures, the joint space, as well as if we look at the cortex of the bone, you'd realize at this particular point, you get a step-off, and then there's an excessive whitening at this point here. If you look at the middle of this bone, right, this is the middle, and then you get excessive whitening at this point here. Now, this basically talks about bone overlapping bone. And this is an impacted fracture. And it will make sense because we said that the femur is a weight bearing bone, and in this case, we had this patient jumping out of a parachute and the head of the femur got rammed back up into the acetabulum. So this here is what we call an impactic fracture. Now, if we look at the previous slide right here, you'd realize that this here is your lesser trochanter. If you look at this slide, you'd realize that this lesser trochanter becomes much more prominent. So you have a little bit of an external rotation here. So we said Shenton's line, you can see a breaking continuity right here. There's a loss of continuity in the cortex bone. There's excessive whitening here, which is going to talk about an impacted fracture. Okay. So as you go along through medical school, they are going to, things are going to become a little bit more apparent to you. All right? So what we're going to give you in the exam is not going to be any type of hidden fractures, but they are going to be clear-cut fractures. In this case the first thing you should realize is the hip joint, and you would realize that you have a series of fractures there. Okay, this looks bad. You can see that that looks bad. It's not what you are accustomed to in a normal radiograph. The trick is identifying where you have the different structures being ruptured. So first of all, let's look at the one that we spoke about. We said that we're going to talk about Shenton's line. Here, you can see that Shenton's line is actually almost non-existent. Okay? Remember, we have a nice curve here. The curve gets broken off right here. If you look at the joint space, you realize that this joint space has widened. And much more importantly, what's happening to your angle of inclination? It's actually shortened. Okay, So it gives you an idea that this head of the femur has some type of pathology. Now, most importantly... Where you can never go wrong, if you look at the cortex of the bone, you'd realize that if you look at the cortex here of the shaft, there is a big step off. You can actually see inside the marrow of the bone. So that talks about an angulated fracture. Coming along here and at the greater trochanter, what you're gonna have to see happening? You see this dark area here, which is also representing a fracture. So let's see if we could have identified those fractures. So we said that's a femoral head. There is your greater trochanter. You can see the space, the breaking continuity. And you can see a very huge fracture along here and along here. Shenton's line, you can see that it's very, very disrupted. Good? Yes? Let's go back. So what would, you th- what would you say? So first of all, you have it between the two trochanters. So it's an intertrochanteric fracture. All right. Now, at this point here, the head, if you look right here, it doesn't seem that the neck is actually fractured. So we will call it an extracapsular fracture. So this fracture, hmm? subtrochanteric would be below here. All right, so as you correctly said, it could be an intrachochenteric fracture, and because you have this one here, it could be considered a subchochenteric fracture also, but definitely not an intracapsular fracture. Okay, make sense? Good, good question. We have a budding orthopedic surgeon. So, subchochenteric, you'd realize that once again, looking at it, so we have the joint space, the femoral head is intact. However, this is a shaft, and once you look at the break-in continuity, here's a cortex, you can see that there is an angulated fracture as well as some spickles of bone. And this becomes very apparent, especially in orthopedic surgery. The orthopedic surgeon not only does a radiograph, but he also has to do a CT scan to see where those fractures or those segments of bone are located. So when he's planning the operation, he doesn't go in and just fixate the femur, but he also takes out the other pieces of bone that can actually um, cause necrosis and cause infections. Anybody can tell me what this is right here? That's a skin fold. So when you take the radiograph, you'd realize that you have two interfaces. This is skin, and this is what you might call some of the fat in between the leg and the abdominal region. This one. This one is a very, very obvious fracture. Right? Is this patient an old patient or a young patient? Hmm? A young patient. Why is it a, this patient a young patient? Hmm? Bones look real nice. That's a very good answer. So you can see there is... Yeah, that's, that's actually a very intelligent answer. It's a very... Plausible answer because if you look right here, you can see that there is whitening of the bone. Okay, so it has good mineralization. In older patients, you have demineralization, so the bone appears very brittle. So we see a little bit more of the darker structures. Okay, now, this normally happens when a patient is sitting, driving in a car, head on car accident, the knee hits the dashboard, and that femur is sent back through the acetabulum. Now notice what I said, they send back through the acetabulum. Now, what would you expect to happen if a force is pushing the femur back through the acetabulum? Piece of the acetabular head is supposed to be dislocated with that femur. Not so. In this case, why we say it's a young person is because the head of the acetabulum, sorry, the, the, the cap, as we call it, of the acetabulum is intact, and the head of the femur is actually dislocated posteriorly. So this has to be a very flexible patient, Okay, somebody that has nice, soft cartilage. So we can can tell a lot about our patients just by looking at the radiograph. So we said, which structure is responsible for this posterior or permits this posterior dislocation? The femoral ligaments. Most importantly, what nerve do we expect to be damaged if this particular type of injury happens. Think about the, the gluteal region. Who is the nerve of excellence in the gluteal region or which is the greatest nerve that passes in the gluteal region? The sciatic nerve. What other nerves could be injured? The superior and inferior gluteal. Okay. The inferior gluteal innervates what muscle? Superior gluteal. The inferior gluteal. Sup- Innovates what muscle? Gluteus maximus. Gluteus maximus. Okay, just making sure that you're not asleep. The superior gluteal does which muscles? Gluteus medius, minimus, and tensor fascia lata. Okay? Yes? It's it's a young patient. It's a young patient with the with the fusing of the the plates. It has a kind of an ice cream cone appearance. You can see a distinct line. So this patient, I would say, is about 15, 16 somewhere around there. Okay, not a, not not somebody that's under ten. We're going to see a, one of the sh- um, images where we're going to see the plates. Okay. Okay, let's go. So femoral shaft fractures. So in this case, what we have happening is that you have an angulated fracture. What structures do you think is going to be affected? Posteriorly, what region do we have behind the knee? The popliteal fossa. Okay? So it means we're going to have what nerves being affected? We can have the tibial nerve being affected. We can have the fibular nerve being affected. We can have what artery, the popliteal artery, being affected, okay? as well as the popliteal vein. So looking at the normal anatomy, we're going to have, we said that a knee joint consisted of an articulation between the femur as well as the tibia and the patella. So here you can see the patella. And we're going to look at the different condyles. So there's the femur, there's the patella, the tibia, here's the fibula. Now one thing that I want you to remember, because sometimes what happens is that you need to identify which side is medial and which side is lateral. And sometimes, besides having the fibula being on the lateral side and the tibia being on the medial side, you may have a radiograph that only shows you this. And then you will say to yourself, well, how do I know which side is medial and which side is lateral? On the medial side, here you can see the interface between the fats." and the muscle, you have a bigger fat pad on the medial side as opposed to the lateral side. So that's one way a surgeon or any type of doctor is going to realize which side is medial and which side is lateral. So there's your medial epicondyle. So as I said, this dark area here is your fat pad, fat, subcutaneous tissue, and these are some of the muscles right here. So what muscle or what tendons or group of tendons would you have more or less passing over this region? We spoke about that yesterday. We spoke about the goose foot. And we said that we have three tendons inserting or passing over that region. What are they? Sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosus. Okay? So you can see the amount of questions that we can ask you just looking at a radiograph. So there's your lateral epicondyle. Arterial supply, we talk about the geniculate anastomosis. And it has a femoral contribution, perpetual contribution, your circumflex fibula, as well as your recurrent branches from the anterior tibia. All right? So we had a slide that I placed up, and I gave you all the five branches that contribute to that geniculate anastomosis. So... With this lecture, you should be relating all that you would have been given in the previous lectures and trying to relate the two. So this is the anatomy that you are basically responsible for. So, many times, especially with a knee joint, there's a lot of fractures, a lot of stuff that happens. And if you look at this, could you appreciate any fractures? No, not necessarily, right? Because this is a normal lateral view. Okay. And one of the things that I want you to actually remember is this little thing that we see here, which is this radiolucent area, which is called your fat pad. So this bone is going to be called what? Patella, quadriceps tendon, patella ligament. This bone is what? The? The who? I'm hearing humorous. Oh-ho, I was just wondering if I didn't have... If my lunch was getting a little bit (laughs) weak in my stomach, all right. And then you have this one here, which is going to be called what? A tibia, and then you can see more or less the outline. Sorry, the outline of this bone here, which is the fibula. Great. So this pouch, which is called a suprapatellar pouch, is very important. Okay. Continuing. So there's your patella ligament, patella, femur, tibia. Okay, that's your suprapatellar pouch. Okay, so let's look at this. Once again, based on what we would have said, we said that this here is a medial side because you have much more fat pad. This is a lateral side. Here is the... What bone? Femur. Here's your tibia. And if you look very carefully in your mind's eye, using a systematic approach, you'd realize that there is a break in continuity right here, which is normally talking about a fracture. Okay? So you should be asking yourself, these sharp spicules of bone is going to lacerate or cut a group of arteries, maybe belonging to the geniculate anastomosis, and there is going to be bleeding into the knee joint. So as we said, when we look at this here, we realize that If we go back, we realize that we had this nice fat pad come forward. We realize that there is a differentiation between the fat pad, and this here represents fluid, in this case, blood. So the fat is actually floating on the fluid. So this is a suprapatellar bursa, and it gives you an idea or helps you suspect that there is some type of fracture. Point to note, if you see this type of image and you can't see a fracture, this tells you that there is a fracture, so you have to look for it, because sometimes, based on the type of film that you get, you may not be able to identify the fracture. So if you look very carefully, you would realize that you have this little fracture right here. Okay? Could anybody tell me what this is? Arterosclerosis. Of what artery? Well, femoral going into poppy tula. Okay, very good. Everybody sees that. These calcifications here, you have to remember that atherosclerosis. you have calcium, you have saponification. The rays are going to pick up these radiopaque really opaque structures, and you can actually see the outline of the artery right here. So what does it tell us about a patient? Is this a young patient or is it an old patient? It's an old patient, okay? How are you liking radiology so far? You don't? So there's one a fracture, quadriceps tendon, your patella, femur, tibia, and there's the other fracture. Okay? It's a good thing or a bad thing? It's not good. All right. So in the leg, you'd realize that you have two bones. You have the tibia being the weight bearing bone, and you have fibula, which is the weaker bone. Now, what am I concerned about at that particular juncture? We should be thinking about the vessels, right? Now, in between the bone, what do you have? You have an interosseous membrane. You have an artery that's passing in front of that interosseous membrane, which is going to be called the anterior tibial artery. One passing behind the interosseous membrane, is going to be called the posterior tibial artery. Okay? Now, so you're going to have these vessels being disrupted, and as a result of which you're going to have blood escaping. What structure surrounds the leg in a deep fascia? What's that fascia called? Fascia cruris So just imagine I have blood escaping into the leg. It means therefore that the muscles would not be able to expand outwards. I have that elastic stocking or deep fascia surrounding the leg, blood is escaping. So almost immediately, there is a buildup of pressure in that compartment. And that's called a compartment syndrome. So it means, therefore, that the arteries, blood is escaping, the veins are going to be compressed, the nerves are going to be compressed, so you can get loss of feeling or hypersensitivity. Um, and that's some of the features that we see in a compartment syndrome, which we're going to talk about in subsequent slides. Ankle joint, we said that the ankle joint is made up of a series of bones. We have a tibia, fibula, and talus. This is an AP. And on the, so let's look at it, on the lateral view, this is your tibia. That's your fibula. So this is your tibia. Here you can see the fibula in the back. This is, so look at it, this is your medial malleolus. Behind that, I should say, if you look again, so this is your medial malleolus right here. And one thing I want you to remember is that the medial malleolus is normally higher than your lateral malleolus. That's the talus the calcaneus. And basically, what we should remember is what ligaments do we have on the medial side, what ligaments do we have on the lateral side. So we went through all of that. Okay, On the medial side... You have your anterior and posterior, tibia, tailor ligaments, your tibio calcaneal ligaments, and your tibial navicular ligaments. On the lateral side, the bone is the fibula, so all of them are going to have that term, tailor fibula and calcaneal fibula. All of them belong to the lateral collateral ligaments. So let's look at this. Once again, we're going to go through this. So we said that this bone here is what? Tibia and this one being fibula. So we have a fracture right here of the lateral malleolus. Looking at this again, this is the fibula, the distal end of the fibula. We have a breaking continuity here, a breaking continuity here, and this is, talks about fracture of the fibula. If you look at this side here, we should also see that this is a fracture of the tibia. So these are the malleolus. This is the lateral malleolus. This is the medial malleolus. So we call it a bimalleolar fracture. Looking at the foot, we have hind foot, mid foot, and forefoot. The bones that we have in the hind foot will be basically talus, calcaneus, midfoot, the navicular coniform, the cuboid, sorry. Then you have your medial coniform, intermediate coniform, and lateral coniform, your metatarsals and phalanges. Looking here, we'd realize that we have this break-in continuity and this will tell us that there's a fracture of the fifth metatarsal shaft. So you come to medical school and you pay a lot of money to actually say these terms. Fifth metatarsal shaft. Very expensive words for you to use. Okay. Looking at the knee, first question, is this a T1 image or is it a T2 image? It's a T1 image. How do I know it's a T1 image? Fat, hmm? fat shows up as white. So, based on <clears throat> what we have just said, where would we normally look for fluid, and it's showing up as dark? We talked about the suprapatellar bursa, and if we look right here, we'd realize that the suprapatellar bursa is dark. So, we're basically talking about an MR T1. Most importantly, we have this ligament here, which is called the posterior cruciate ligaments. So it runs posteriorly, and I want you to remember that it's the darkest of the two cruciate ligaments. It's very, very dark. One band. It's a single band. Whereas the anterior cruciate fans out from anterior to posterior, and you can see that it has two bands. Okay. So posterior, generally one band, anterior has two parts, generally fans out has two more bands. This is a parasagittal, so we're splitting the body into a right and a left half. And here you can see that you have the anterior meniscus, medial the anterior horn, and here you have the posterior meniscus. Is this a medial meniscus or is it the lateral meniscus? Hmm? So what bone is this? Tibia. And this here is the... You can also see part of a tibia here. So this here is the femur. This is the tibia. And you can see that the actual fibula is beginning to come into play. So we're talking about this here being more or less the medial meniscus. All right? So we're going to stop here and then we're going to start back in the next hour.